get fired up. Yes, we're going to have an exciting morning. If this is your first week here, let me welcome you, all our first-time guests, and everyone online. Glad to have you guys this morning. That was a pathetic clap for our onliners and our first-time guests today. There we go. Yeah, yeah, we got to get fired up every week. Why? Because we got something to get fired up for. So if you're a guest here today, I'm glad you're here. Uh, you're catching uh, us on a week that we're part two of a series we started last week where we're talking about teams. Everybody's on a team, whether you're on your mama's team, your daddy's team, your family team, your work team, your sports team, your church team. Everybody's a part of a team, your school team. Everybody's a part of a team. And so we're talking about what makes teams great. In fact, today I've, I don't normally title messages, but I titled this message, What Makes Great Teams Unstoppable? So we're going to answer that in the course of today, not, not actually the answer on that until deep, 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 deep into this message, but we're, really what makes teams unstoppable? And so we have had a blast last week in this series. We've talked about like, you know, like the idea of some of the greatest teams on earth. We talked about some of the great Olympic teams uh, last week. We, we actually talked about college football that's coming up, and I found a football that was over here, and I grabbed it if you guys were here last week. I thought it was really awesome and funny. Some of you guys thought it was funny. Some of you guys were like, ah, boring. But I grabbed a football, and it was sort of deflated, and I said, so I didn't know we got footballs from New England, and some of you guys thought that was funny. But we got a lot of, lot of enthusiasm going on around here because we do, we've got, like, the Olympics coming up. We've got college football coming up here in, like, 40 days now, 41 days, something like that. And what's exciting is exciting to be a part of a team, isn't it? I mean, no, no, I don't, I don't, I rarely find people who are very excited alone. I find people who are like rocking it, doing great through life, who are part of a team. In fact, I just thought of one team. How about our U.S. military team? They're awesome, right? Yeah. How about our, how about our, our men in blue, right? Our officers, yeah. Celebrate those guys. So today what we're going to do is we're going to celebrate what God's been doing, and talk about what makes teams unstoppable. In fact, we're going to talk today about what makes this team unstoppable, what makes the church, the family, the, this, this family team, what makes it unstoppable. And so as we dive into, into this this morning, uh, I just thought it was kind of cool, like realizing like, wow, we are still just a baby as a church. We're just seven years old. And, and as I look at our church, I've been so proud of what God's done in the last seven years. And do you guys realize this? In the last seven years, you guys have helped make heaven more crowded. You guys realize that? That when, when Jesus comes back, that may be foreign to some of you if you're new to Bible study, but when Jesus comes back someday, he'll take everybody with him who's bowed the knee and said yes to like, I believe in you, to heaven. And because of your efforts, there's like 1,300-ish people that will be in heaven someday because of your efforts. Many of them are you who found Christ in the last seven years of this church. So that is awesome. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at a passage, kind of a unique passage, kind of a, kind of like this uh, passage that like I'm, I'm almost like shocked that they would let this be in the Bible because it's about a debate. It's about a debate that the early church had about what should be in the Bible. And they talked about like the early church and had a debate on uh, how you could become a part of the God thing. Um, they said, how, who could be in and, and who, could, who would have to be out? 
It was like this weird conversation like what you'd have to do to be in in the church God club thing and what would it be like to be in. And so they had this, this sharp discussion. This is all after Jesus had, had died and risen from the dead. He'd gone off to heaven and now the church had begun and people are like fired up and they're talking about the thing they just saw. They just saw a dead guy who predicted his death, and he rose back from the dead. And they're like, oh, my gosh, there's this dead guy now who's walking around everywhere. I've got to tell everybody. And they're like just going around telling everybody. They're all fired up, much like you guys are. And so we catch up to this conversation where all of a sudden they have a meeting of the minds, the church leaders, to really seriously talk about what do you have to do to be in? Like who can be in and what do you have to be uh, to be, be a part of this. And what early Christians thought was you had to first become Jewish before you could be, become a Christian. And you had to obey all the Jewish laws before you could become a Christian. So if you got your Bibles, we're going to look at Acts chapter 15. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts is like the sixth or so book in the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible, we'll have it up on screens for you. We have also got message notes this morning. You're going to want to take some notes. This is some good stuff this morning that's going to help you not just think about the church and how this church can be unstoppable, but how you and your team can also be unstoppable. So Acts chapter 15, verse 1, we jump into this story. It says, some men came down from Antioch in Judea and were teaching the brothers. And this is what they were saying. Unless you're circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Uh, that kind of stinks. Right? Especially for the guys who want to like, I want to be in the Jesus Club. No, not now. Nope, nope. Put my hand down. So they're having this discussion. Unless you have surgery, you can't be saved. Right? That's what they're saying. Got to have surgery to be saved. Which to some of us, if you've been, you've been a Christian for a while or you've not, it's not your first time, you kind of understand God and His love and His grace. You think surgery to be saved? That's kind of like adding to like something that Jesus said you don't need to do any longer. Um, so, you know, these, the guys in the church are thinking, what? Uh, no wonder mostly women, uh, were in church back then. Uh, I could hear the guys on the way to church. They're saying like, uh, baby's, baby, uh, that's their wife. Baby, I'm going to skip new members class today. Uh, I don't think I'm going to join the church. Uh, um, so, and basically this was like, you got to join the Moses club before you join the Jesus club. So, uh, verse 2, it said, this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate. So all of a sudden, you got the first church debate, right? They're like, whoa, wait, this is not right. This is supposed to be like this. So they're in debate. And so Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some of the other believers, to go to Jerusalem and to see all the rest of the apostles and the elders, like other new church followers, about this question because... It's a huge question, and the ramifications of this question uh, are massive even to our conversations with how we operate as a church today. So they, they basically say, hey, we got to get this one straightened out. Before we can move any forward, any, before we can move forward any further, this has got to be something that we, we really articulate and figure out here. So when they came to Jerusalem, that's part of Paul and Barnabas who were appointed, when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church. And the apostles and all the other elders are like, "Yay, glad you guys are here." And they say to whom, uh, or they to whom they reported everything that God had been doing through them. So basically, they ta- they 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 give them a 
uh, a backlog of what they've been teaching for the last uh, year or so and uh, what they've not been saying, what they've been saying. And they basically walked away saying, hey, and, and what's happening is I think we're sending some mixed messages out there, guys. And so in verse 5, then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. So when you think of the law, most of us think of the Ten Commandments, right? Like we think like uh, Moses went up, he came back, and he's like, hey, everybody, here's the Ten Commandments. You should try to do these, right? Try not to kill somebody. That's a good thing. Try not to, you know, cheat on another man's wife. That's, that's, a, that's a great law, right? All those are like, yeah, we should do those things. Those are good things. Those are like some just wise understandings that people should subscribe to. But they're not talking about the Ten Commandment laws. They're referring to, and what they, st- they stood up and said they should keep the law of Moses. They're referring to the 600 laws that has been customary for thousands of years that the Jews kept. Now, what they've done is, now all these people have become believers. They're like, wow, the Jesus guy? Yeah, he, I really did see him walking around. I really didn't know he died. And he's walking around again. I'm in. So, but what they also brought into that equation is the 600 other laws they used to keep. And they were trying to fillet this into, add this into the new Jesus movement. And they're saying, you got to keep all these laws and do all these things before you can be saved. And so, after careful discussion, it says, after much discussion in verse 6, Peter, now Peter's the man. When Peter started talking, people kind of just got quiet, and they started listening to Peter, because he was, he's like one of the Mac Daddy early followers of Jesus. Um, He had great faith. He was the guy that when Jesus was walking out in the water, Peter got out of the boat and left all the other disciples in the boat, and he started walking on the water, like towards Jesus, because he said, hey, can I come follow you out on the water, and Jesus said, come on, and Peter did it, so he's out there, and he's walking, so he's kind of the brave, bold guy, he steps out, and after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them, and he said this, brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God knows the hearts of people, basically, God knows God knows the heart and showed that he accepted them or us or everyone by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. And here's what's cool. He didn't discriminate against anyone, really. He didn't discriminate between us and them. Paul's, uh, Peter's saying us, meaning us Jewish people or and them, anyone else. He didn't discriminate. But instead, he purified their hearts by what? By faith. Purify their hearts by faith. Then purify their hearts by, oh, by the way, let's clean yourselves up by trying to be perfect on all 600 laws. Now, I, 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 I could never keep 600 laws. I try to break most laws. I, I mean, I, I just be honest. I just, got a, I just got a ticket in the mail like a week ago. My wife said, seriously, baby? I'm like, what? I don't, how do I get that? She's like, it says right here, there's a picture of your truck. And you're in Phoenix City. And you're turning a corner, and it says that you didn't stop turning the corner. I was like, wait a second, it looks like I've got my brakes on, my lights are on. Like, here, here's the video of your truck. 
yeah, there's brake lights, but you just kind of cruised through that stop sign and hung a right on, on the stop sign. I'm like, oh, so uh, yeah, I guess I sort of did that. So, so I don't know if that was intentional or unintentional. We don't really need to debate that right now. But here's, here, back to Scripture. So they were trying to keep 600 laws, and God's saying that I'll purify your heart, not your effort into trying to be good enough because we know no one is good enough to do all of that. Because the one time you mess up, all of a sudden you remember one verse that says, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. So the moment we like blow it one time, like, ah, okay, now we need Jesus. All right, so I think we're all in that club, right? We all need a Savior. So, so they're talking about this. They're debating this. They're saying, so seriously, the guys have got, got to get circumcised to like, be in the Jesus club? Man, this, this rots. This is terrible. So, so they clearly articulate, God purifies our hearts by faith, not by our works. Now then, why do you try to test God? Now, I love this. This is kind of like, why do you test God by putting on the next of the disciples a yoke? Now, when I think of the whole test idea, I, I'm just reminded of like people that have said, in my lifetime, either to me or I don't know if I've said it, but I've just heard this a lot where someone says, man, don't test me on this. Like, bro, I'm serious. Don't test me right now. Don't test me, right? That's kind of like when someone says that, they're kind of swelling up. They're, they're mad about something, right? They're sort, of, they're sort of like letting you know that you're treading on an area that's going to make me ill over whatever you're trying to test me on. So they're, they're saying about God, don't test God on this one. Like, he, th- this makes God ill. Like, I think this, p- this makes God, like, get to a place where it upsets God about you trying to do these things because that's not what God wants. So they're like, they're coming out strong on this. Don't test God by, and this is, this is the clarity of this, don't test God by putting on the necks of people, disciples. Those are the early followers of Christ. Don't try to add Weight on their necks, a yoke, that's what a yoke is, not like the crack the egg, kind of light, nice fried egg, scrambled egg yoke, but this yoke is like a big, heavy yoke that they would put on oxen, like two, two big, burly animals that could carry it. But they're saying, don't add to, put weight on, extra stuff on the necks of people that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear. So we've not been able to keep these 600 laws before. We're, we're not even doing it. We're the leaders of this movement. We're, we're still sinful. We're not perfect. So let's not try to add all these rules to say, you can be in the God club if you get your life all cleaned up first, right? That's what the early church is talking about here. I mean, create, wow, this is unbelievable. Really? This is what it, wow, this is unbelievable. So they're talking about, I'm, just, I'm very excited about this, as you can see. So they get to this last statement in verse 11. They say, no. We believe it, that through the grace of our Lord Jesus, just as they are, that people can come to God just as they are. So here's what they're saying. Don't make this difficult. For people who are outside the faith, let's, let's not add barriers to the faith. Let's remove barriers to the faith. In fact, let's roll out the red carpet to people. I mean, it's kind of what we try to do around here as a church. We try to open our doors wide and say, come on, everybody's welcome to get connected to this Jesus guy. Why? Because when they get connected to him, 
He, he does all the work. In fact, he already did all the work. We just have to help them understand the work that he already did because he's the one that purifies. He's the one that cleanses. He's the one that makes it all right. When we think we can make it right, we really can't make it right. He makes us right with God by the work he already did for us. So this is the debate that they're having. And they're saying, don't test God on this. Don't add things. In fact, let's open our doors really, really wide and make the church basically irresistible. Like, why would we not make the church a place that everybody wants to come, set it up in such a way that people want to be here, so it's irresistible in such a way that we lead them to knowing Jesus? So when they finish this part of the conversation now, it says that James spoke up. Now, James is the brother of Jesus. He grew up in Jesus' household, so he knows Jesus. So when he speaks, everybody tunes in now, and he says, Brothers, listen to me. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles. That's everybody else who's not a Jew in the rest of the world. So let's not make it difficult for the rest of human life who are turning to God. Instead, let's make it easy, not make it hard, not put up barriers to belief. Let's squash barriers to belief. Let's just get them connected to Jesus. Because if we can get them connected to Jesus, and he can... He can, he can solve everything, all the riddles, all the problems, all the struggles, I mean, in their entire life. So let's open the door wide so they can connect to Jesus. So, verse 30, the men were sent off after they had this conversation. They started, they made some decisions. They were sent off down to Antioch where they gathered the church together and delivered their letter. And all the guys are like, surgery or no surgery, Right? Uh, uh, is this like going to be a good, good, good news, or is this going to be bad news? So, verse thirty-one: the people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. So, here's the thing: this is a big subject. It's a huge subject for the church, and every, 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 every church struggles with this conversation. It's it's a tense conversation. The really conversation is always like this. How, how much or how little should we try to model grace or how much should we model and try to model the truth? Right? Isn't that the discussion? The churches are always trying to say, well, we, we want to we give both. We want to give the truth because the truth sets you free, but we want to model grace because we see Jesus modeling grace. We see him modeling it with Zacchaeus, right? Zacchaeus was this terrible, terrible thief and had everybody hating him, and Jesus saw him and did what? He said, Zacchaeus, I'm going to go to your house today. Let's hang out together. When, when Jesus saw the woman at the well, everybody was getting, getting ready to throw rocks at her because she had broken one of the 600 commandments. What did Jesus do to her? He said, hey, Drop your rocks, everybody, unless you've not sinned. And he told her, now listen, I love you. I know you love me now because I just gave you grace. Now go sit, don't, go, don't do this anymore. See you later, love you. And, and we see Jesus modeling this type of grace. But Jesus was perfect at it, right? 
He's Jesus, so he can perfectly model truth and grace. Churches, it gets tense, right? Woo! Because when you, when you get a church like ours, it's messy. You get a bunch of sinners up in here, and we wear shirts like, no perfect people allowed, and then people show up who are, aren't perfect, and we're like, whoa, what do we do with them? Right? Wow, wow, that's messy. Woo! We, hadn't, we don't have a... We don't have a we don't have a policy for that. What do we do about that? We're like, uh, forget the policies. Let's just do relationships with that, right? Let's just build a relationship with that struggle, and let's just point him to Jesus. And so the church, what we've been doing since day one, we've been saying, listen, everybody who's far from God, we want this church to be so irresistible that when you show up, you sense God's grace. You sense and see the truth of our love and grace through his word and through people, so we want you to know him. And so these guys got this great news back, um, but there are huge consequences if we get this wrong. Huge. In fact, just in our city alone, do you know there is 86% on any given Sunday that people are not in a church? And I don't mean if you skip church next week, you're part of the 86%. I'm just saying, on average, 86% of our population just in Columbus, Georgia, Valley region they are not ever attending a church. You want to take that a little further? We don't, we've, we've not seen an era where there are less students in churches than we've ever seen before. There are less students connected to church, connected to God through any religious organization in our city than ever before. So what this means for the church is we've got to get this right we got to figure this out. We, we've got to figure out what are we doing as a church to reach out to the people who are far from God. So I want to give you three things. You've got this in your notes. I'm going to give you three things that we've got to be so careful of. Three things that we must get right. Three things we've got to be careful of. Number one, we've got to be careful not to drift towards the insiders and away from the outsiders. Because you know what? That can happen without us trying. In fact, we're seven years old. We've been drifting to insiders, thinking more about ourselves, our stuff, our deal, our dilemma, than we are thinking about outsiders. It just happens. It happens in every organization that's ever begun. Whatever company you're a part of, your company has to go back and think about, oh, why did we start this again? Oh, it was about that goal, that goal. See, our goal is what Jesus' goal was. He said, I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. Yeah, if you're new to Bible study, Jesus said that. So if you're here this morning and you're that person, that's awesome, right? Because you're the guy Jesus wants to get to know, the person far from him, the person who's not yet connected. When we launched this church, the point of this church wasn't trying to go after already church people. The church already had those churches. This church launched so we'd go after the people who were not yet connected to God. That's what Jesus' heart and passion was. And so as a church, we've got to be so careful that we don't drift towards the insiders and focus on us and forget the outsiders. And the older we get, the easier it is for us to forget them. So the goal for us then is to think about how do we do that? How do we make this place so irresistible that when people show up, they go, oh my gosh, wow, I've never met a place that was so friendly to me. 
did, did they know what I did last week? I've never met a, I never, those people that are so excited out there on that daggum parking team, they're like sweating. Somebody needs to give that dude some deodorant, by the way. Right, they're out there sweating. They're out there, you know, parking cars. They're out there waving. They're out there, you know, holding doors in that lobby. And they're, they're, they're making coffee. Their kids' ministry is so awesome. Cool. People show up and they go, wow, I'm not so sure I believe what they believe, but I'll come back. I may not buy in just yet and believe what they believe, but man, I know they believe what they believe. Because look at that dude over here. He's like smiling all the time. Little smiley face. What's that dude, what's that dude so happy about anyways, right? I mean... When, when, when this stuff catches on, the ch- church is contagious. It's irresistible. When we get it right, when, when our music's great, when the message is great, when we get it right, when people show up and it's like, a, like this moment, this experience where they feel like, please, you're awesome, you're welcome, and it's fun, and it's exciting, and it's dynamic, all of a sudden the church becomes irresistible, and I think God's going like this. He's going, yes, yes. We don't want a yoke. We want to get rid of the yoke. We want people to show up giving God and his church one last chance. We want those people showing up and going, okay, I'll come back another week. Maybe I, maybe I didn't bow the knee. Maybe I didn't totally grasp God's grace today. Maybe I totally didn't get it all. But I know they did, and I'll come back again because it just felt nice. It felt right. And so that's, that's, that's what we've got to guard against. Number two. We've got to be careful about the drift towards the law and away from grace. We said from day one, my church, because it's easier for us over time to lean into the law than it is for us over time to lean into grace. I'll just be honest with you. The older I get, the cleaner my life is looking. I've been a Christian for 20, I don't know, well over 20 years, maybe 30 years now, right? I got saved when I was 12. My wife will tell you, in my first year of marriage, she wanted me to make a lot of changes in my life, in my marriage, right? And over time, God's been doing a work in my heart, and I'm cleaner. I'm different. I'm not dragging the baggage that I used to drag. I mean, God's just kind of transformed my mind. He's transformed my heart. I'm, I'm a new creation. I'm not perfect. I've got a long ways to go. Just ask my wife. She'll tell you. I've got a long ways to go. I've got a long ways to go. But I'm different. So over time, it's easier for me to sort of get judgmental, like, ooh, I'm cleaned up. How come that person's not? But here's the deal. As the church, as the people who really grasp that I've been forgiven, this old broken, messed up, scarred up person, those scars are beauty marks now that like represent like God's done something in me. That messiness has changed. And so over time, it's easy for us to forget that we've had that grace and to start slipping into law. But we've got to remind ourselves as a church, we must err on the side of grace. What attracts people is God's grace. What saves people is God's unmerited, undeserved, I didn't do it, God's grace. So as a church, we've got to be so cautious about our drift towards the law and away from grace. Third thing is this, and and this is so critical for us. We've got to be so careful that we don't drift towards spectating rather than playing. Yeah, we've got to be so careful that we don't don't drift towards spectating rather than playing. Now, 
we're, we're, we're going to celebrate football season real soon. And we're going we're gonna, to, we're gonna like, get fired up, and you guys are going to throw some parties, and I hope you invite me. I'm awesome to have at your party, I promise. Um, but, but you're going to throw some football parties, and you're going to have some, you know, some, some fun, and you're going to root, and you're going to cheer, and you're going to be, like, fired up when your team wins. You're going to be so mad when your team loses. But here's the thing. I promise you, as much fun as you're, ha- you're having at your party, nobody, well, I almost wanted to, wanted to say nobody beats a Rivertown Ford deal, right? <laughs> but no, no, you guys heard it when I said it? Did you think it? Because I thought it. And I got I to gotta say what I think, so. Thought it, said it, we're done, passed. Okay, so nobody has more fun than the people on the field playing the game. I promise you. How many of you guys have ever played a sport before? You guys are no longer playing that sport right now. Do you miss it? Wasn't it fun? There is, there is nothing more fun than to actually be the person on the field who's running around you know, knocking heads if you're a football team or cracking a ball if you're a baseball team or, you know, going for a digger if you're a volleyball team or pole vaulting or, I mean, or if you're at work on a team or if you're on an awesome family team and you guys have accomplished something together or if you're on your church team. There's nothing, I swear, nothing more exciting than coming out of the stands and spectating than being a part of a team. I promise you, the people that are growing in this church are the people that are playing ball. That are playing ball. And so we've got to be so careful. You've got to be so careful. We as the church, if you're a follower of Christ, we've got to ward against this. Because over time, life will get busy. We'll do things of life. But we'll forget what God's doing. And we'll almost unknowingly remove ourselves out of the God picture and do a lot of other things that are good things but aren't great things, i.e., uh, like for my family, example, is my kids' sports and extracurricular stuff. Oh, my gosh. We have three kids, and if we let them all do a different sport in any one season, we don't have enough cars. We don't have enough time. We get swallowed up by all that stuff, and guess what? It's all good stuff. I think sports builds character. I'm for it. My kids all love sports. We push them. Yes, let's teach you how to work hard. Let's teach you how to b- play a part of a team. But sometimes the great can suffer because of the good. And what I'm saying is there's nothing that's promised that will, sur- that will survive the test of time other than the church. Scripture says this. Upon this rock I will build my church, Matthew 16, 18, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You know what that means? The only thing that's going to stand the test of time, no other organization in the world other than capital C Church. And for those of us that can finally get this sort of figured out in our brains and that can move from like just the Sunday morning experience to like stepping out of the stands and playing ball on this team... If you don't figure that out, your growth will stay small. But if you can say, I want to play ball. I want to find some way to leverage my gifts, my strengths, my abilities, my stuff. For what God's doing, I'm telling you, you and your family will grow tremendously. And it's fun. I'm telling you, it's fun. 
There's no other people I'd rather hang out on this planet than this team right here. We have loads of fun. And so here's what I want to say today. Let me say it through our, our value is our church. If you walk out on our wall, we got some cool statements up there that we worked on for about a year that says these are the things that we will fight for because these are beliefs that we see in God's word. We are spiritual contributors, not spiritual consumers. We're wired to contribute. We're not wired to consume. God wired us that way. How do we know that? Who came to sacrifice for his life for us? Jesus. He modeled contributing. We're not spiritual contributors. We're spiritual consumers. No, I said that wrong. We are spiritual contributors, not spiritual consumers. The church does not exist for us. We are the church, and we exist for the world. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. If you're showing up and you're leaving thinking about what you wish were different, you're a consumer. Because consumers leave thinking about what they wish was different. Contributors leave thinking about who they wish were here. Now, now, now that's, that's, that's kind of like stepping on my toes, preacher. That's kind of like got a little bit of meddling going on there. You're kind of like, that's kind of like a little, you know, shot below the belt. Let me just say it again. Just let it sink in. If this is you, you might, this not, might be a conversation for you to kind of reprioritize. But consumers leave thinking about what they wish was different. Oh, I wish, you know, I wish, I wish, I wish. I wish this was different. Contributors leave thinking about who they wish were here. Who they wish were here. Yeah, why? Yeah, why? Oh, that's right, because I got a friend who's far from God. And if I can help make this place great, then maybe he'll show up. Maybe there'll be a series or something going on in the church that he'll show up and he'll go, wow, that's awesome. I, 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 got the, I, I understood that. that. That penetrated my heart. So here's my, here's my ask. This, I, I, I boiled this down to the question of today. What makes great teams great? What makes teams that are great unstoppable? One thing. One thing. Just sacrifice. Is sacrifice. Jesus modeled it. Let me ask you this. Who's the number one sacrificer in your house? Your mama. Ladies, am I right? And guys, I, I love you, and I'm one, I are one. But I know you're like, but baby, I bring the paycheck home. I, I do this, and I'm like, no, no, no. You better get off that little hobby horse quick. Because your wife, your mama, she is the one, number one who sacrifices. So here's the thing. In your family unit, your family can't be a great family if only one person person sacrificing. Right? I'm speaking to students right now. If you look around and it's always your mom sacrificing and... You're never playing a role on that team. Your team will never be great. At your work, what happens if one guy sacrifices but the, ne- the, the, the rest of the team doesn't? You've got a lame team, right? And over time, that lameness can creep into everybody. So the people that, can sa- that are sacrificing, over time, they get worn out. They're like, oh, my gosh. Why would I sacrifice if no one's sacrificing? But as Christians, here's what we've got to remember somebody sacrificed it all for us, gave it all. So why would we not sacrifice it all for him? So here's my ask today. I want you to get in the fight. I want you to get in the fight because I'm telling you there's a battle raging over the hearts and minds 
of the people in this city. And I'm not talking about just the city. We're talking about the world. Look at our world right now. Look at America right now. This is not some black conversation. This is not some white conversation. This is not a blue conversation. This is not a red conversation. It's not a poor conversation. It's not a rich. This is a spiritual conversation. This is a sacrifice conversation. What won't you sacrifice for your friend to know Jesus? What won't you sacrifice so that on Sunday mornings we could make this place irresistible? Like, wouldn't, wouldn't you want to know that if somehow one of your friends, maybe by your invite, showed up at your church, you all of a sudden, one, would see it, see it all so differently. You would not see it as a consumer any longer. You'd see it as a contributor, right? You would see it as like, hmm, I wish there was trash up there picked up right now because they're walking through here and it looks like no one cares about this place. Or, man, it's hot right now. We need, we need some better fans up in here. People are fanning themselves. This church is hot, right? Th- you'd be th- all of a sudden, you'd be seeing this through the lens of a guest, a visitor. But all of a sudden, you would want it to be great because what if, just what if, just what if, they walked out from here and they said, hmm, I'm not sure I can believe what they believe yet. But I'll come back. I'll be back. See, the church needs to be the most irresistible place on the planet. The church needs to be the most welcoming, grace-filled, grace-giving place on the planet. That's why we got these crazy shirts. We want people to know this is not a country club where you've got to clean your act up before you come. Th- they ought to hose us down. This gets us so, so excited. But we won't get excited until you have a friend come through the store and you see it through the lens of your guest, right? So here's my hope. My hope is that you'll get in the fight. My hope is that you'll get in the fight because we're losing the next generation quick. But we don't have to. We can make this so cool, so fun, so relevant that they will walk out from this location or your house or your friend's house, whatever your small group might be, and they would say, I'll be back because I believe that they believe in what they are saying they believe in. And so here's my hope today. I'm asking you to take one spiritual step today. And I'm telling you, this is a spiritual step. And there might be a real spiritual battle for you to make this step. But we had 50-plus people take this spiritual step in the first service. So here, here's my ask. Would you today take the spiritual step of helping make my church more irresistible by finding somewhere to serve in this church? You're like, that's it. That's it. Like, not, like, not get circumcised? Nope, guys, you're good. No circumcisions after church today to get in, Okay. Right? All of a sudden, it's really easy, right? I'm talking about, would you serve one to three hours a week on a Sunday? Or maybe, maybe, just maybe you go with Pastor Ed and a part of our uh, city serve and start serving in our homeless ministry. Our M2540 group that goes out two or three times throughout the week. But here's the thing. What if people walk through our doors And they just were surrounded by just like enthusiastic, get you fired up, great Sunday experience where they said, I'll be back. I'm asking you to help us make this place irresistible. 
So would you get on a serve team? Maybe it's just a three-month commitment. Maybe, we, maybe we'd say, okay, we're launching a series on August 21st. Did I, t- I forgot to tell you this. Oh, my gosh. On August 21st, we're leading this series up to another series. This series is kind of an insider conversation preparing us for another conversation that we're calling Heartbreak Hotel. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's going to be ridiculous. I'm telling you, it's going to be re- We've been playing this thing for months, and it's getting more and more and more creative. The more time and effort we put into preparing for outsiders showing up here, we have done, we're, 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 we're rolling out the red carpet. And you're going you're gonna to want your friends to show up at this thing. But we got to be ready for them. I want this to be so white hot, so crazy, fired up, that when we start series out, we like get fired at my church. You guys are like, woo! You guys go crazy. People are like, oh my gosh, what just happened? These people are insane. They're so excited. See, I want us to prepare for that, that series. And we're going to every week talk through like relationships. It's a relationship series. We're going to talk about singles and their relationships. We're going to talk about our relationship with God. But every week as we take a felt need, a struggle of all of ours, we're going to beeline it to Jesus. And I promise you, you're going to have many of your friends find Jesus in this series. But we've got to get ready for it. And I'm asking you to consider serving. So here's the ask. Will you take a spiritual step today and say, I'll find some place to serve. I'll commit to three months. I'll just, I'll commit to three months. Maybe, maybe I'll, I'll be on the parking team. Maybe I'll be on the cafe team. Maybe I'll help with production team and move the table out or help build the next stage set. But I'll take a spiritual step to consider serving somewhere. Now, here's how you do it. Make it easy. Everybody grab your smartphone. Everybody, who's got a phone? Everybody got a phone? Grab, you, and if you're the guy right now, you're like, man, I ain't doing this. But just pull it out and act like you're doing it. Like, okay, just like, you don't want to be the odd guys like, no, I am not going to help people. I'm not going to help make heaven crowded. Nope, I'm not just, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. So here's the thing. If you want to plug in somewhere, we're going to make it very simple for you. I want you to text to this number right here. Text your name and your email to that number, 706-593-6448. All you got to do is just give us your name and your, your email. We're not going to blow up your email. We're just going to send you what's your next step to getting serving. We'll, we'll help you know how to serve. We'll give you a coach. We'll have someone to shadow for you. We'll have a you know, slick, simple, easy way for you to get acclimated in what you're doing. But that is a spiritual step. And if you want to thrive and grow in your relationship with God, I am challenging every man, boy, and girl, and woman in this audience to come out of the stands, quit being a spectator, and be a player. Why? Because I got friends, you got friends. I got neighbors, you got neighbors. And because this is a daggum awesome, cool church that we would all want to play a role in and be a part of a team. The happiest people I see are people connected to a team. So consider that. Consider that. Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you so much for your grace. God, I I forget how awesome it was when I really, for the very first time, realized that Jesus gave his all for me. 
God, I'm just, I'm, remi- I'm remi- reminiscing right now. I'm just, I'm grateful, God. Thank you. Thank you that you gave your salvation to us. I pray for every man, woman of this child, this room today. And I ask, God, that you would lead us one step closer to you to play in a role in what you're doing in the capital C church across the globe. Let us see ourselves in a bigger picture than just my Monday or my Tuesday. God, help us see ourselves in the greatest, greatest movement of all times, the church. And God, I pray that we would be getting prepared for the day that you come back. I remember what John the Baptist guy said in the Bible. He said, the day of the kingdom is drawing near. And God, it is. You're coming back soon. We don't know when, God, but I pray that this church would be white hot. And I pray that every man, woman, and, the chi- and, and child in this city would come to know you. So, Lord, I pray that today, I pray that somebody would get fired up and take a step of plugging in and playing a role on this awesome team. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for today. In your precious name we pray. Amen.